Open your Bible with me, if you would, to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 10. If you're ready with your, uh, with your giving, the ushers, they can pass the baskets and gather that up. We have been working our way through a series that I'm calling Declare a Thing, and it's based out of Job, a verse in Job that some of his friends quoted to him. Now, they quoted it to him in not the right spirit, but what they said was true. They just didn't, because they were accusing Job of some things. But the truth that, that was laid out, but falsely used, that truth says this in Job 22 verse 28, it says, you will also declare a thing and it will be established for you. So light will shine on your ways. Light will shine on your ways. Let's personalize that and let's say it. You can just repeat after me. I will also declare a thing. And it will be established for me. So light will shine on my ways. You know, your words will work for you. And if we fail to use our words in a constructive, deliberate way, we are missing out on one of the greatest tools that the Lord has given to us to be able to successfully function in the kingdom of God. Our mouth has been given to us for a divine reason, not just for natural use, not just to eat or or let people know, you know, a conversation, but it's been given for a divine use. And just like the Lord uses His mouth for divine purposes, spiritual purposes, mankind was created in His image, in His likeness, to do the exact same thing. To use it to create and to, to plant, so to speak. I've been, we've been saying that your words are like seeds, right? And you can plant your words and that they'll sprout and grow. Or that your words are like capsules and they carry, they carry within it either life or death. And we base that out of the Scripture that says that your mouth has the power of life and death in it. And so those capsules have either life in them or death in them. And so how many know that if I walked up to you with two capsules, with a red pill and a blue pill, if I walked up to you with two capsules and one has cyanide and one has something really good in it, which one should you take? Well, it's a no-brainer, right? The good one. And if, if you want to take the one with cyanide in it, well, come see me after the service and we can deliver you from that as well. And I'm being serious. Um, this, the, you know, don't joke about suicide. Don't, don't joke about that. That's a spirit. And any time, boy, boy, I'm so far off my subject, but this is something the Lord's doing right now. Anytime you come across someone that has committed suicide and you're one of the first ones, especially if you're a first responder on the scene, I want you to do something. You take authority over that spirit of suicide in the name of Jesus and you bind it and you do not permit it to, to infect or get on anyone else, including yourself. There, it's amazing how many times that someone will commit suicide and the next person in, a short time later, they commit suicide. Or someone that was close to the family or to the member that did it, that then they do. And it's like this contagious thing. It's because it's a spiritual thing. And so don't joke about, about taking your own life in that way. In fact, just go ahead and use your tongue to say that, let's say that right now. I will never take my own life in suicide. I will never take my own life in suicide. All right. Awesome. We're going to 
begin tonight in what we're going to study by looking at the three types of confession. There's an idle confession, there's then a death confession, and there's life confession. And we're going to look at that so that we understand a little bit later as we get into the teaching tonight of, of some things that we're going to grow in. So uh, if you found Proverbs 10, look at verse 19, and... That'll be our jumping off point here, Proverbs 10, 19. It says, when there, are, when there are many words, sin is unavoidable. Sin is unavoidable. We're talking about idle words, idle confession. In other words, an empty capsule. There's nothing in it. It's useless. In fact, we'll later read Scripture where Jesus talked about idle words. And what they really mean is they're inoperative they're inactive, they're worthless, it's like, it's like a lazy thing, it's just it's useless. They're useless, they're idle, they're not doing anything. And um, so that's what an idle word is, it's not the same as a death word, it's a word that has no faith attached to it at all, not to the negative or the positive. You know, a word, a confession of death over something, that also is a faith thing, but it's just to death. And you don't want that either, right? Let's say it another way. Doubt is a form of faith, but in reverse. All right? Unbelief. Unbelief is a form of faith. It's just to the negative. And so, in the same way, you can believe something to the positive. Or especially when you're saying, well, I believe what God said. That would be believing it to the positive. So here he says, where there are many words, sin is unavoidable. But the one who controls his lips is prudent. The one who controls his lips is wise. So do we want to be, put ourselves in a situation where sin is unavoidable or where we're considered wise? Right? It's pretty easy. You know, some people say they have the gift of gab. Um, sometimes I think it's more of a curse than a gift. But you have to watch that, right? If you're, if, the, if you're a person who just talks, 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 the Word has a lot to say about that, actually, and you don't want that to be you. If that's you, get a hold of your tongue. You rule your tongue. It doesn't rule you. And just put some reins on it. James says that you can, you know, just like reins on a horse, you can steer that horse. Your tongue can steer you. And so who's in charge? Your spirit person on the inside of you or your flesh? So let's, let's be operated by the Spirit. I'm going to read a number of scriptures to you here on this. Um, you don't need to turn there. I'll just kind of tell you which chapter it's in, and then I'll read some verses and move on. Um, you can turn to Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 5. And if you are wondering where that is, that's after Proverbs. Listen to these verses. In Proverbs 17, it says, The one who has knowledge restrains his words. The one who has knowledge restrains his words. In other words, it's not just a, a barrage of words. Later, he says in Proverbs 17, Even a fool is considered wise when he keeps silent, discerning when he speaks, when he seals his lips. Even a fool. Now, notice, here is someone that is a fool. They're not wise, they're, they're foolish. And yet, they're, people think they're wise if they'll just shut up. Think they're discerning if they're just quiet. 
You know, I've had, I've had that situation. I don't know if I was a fool or not. I just didn't know anything about what we were talking about. And so I was quiet. You know, if you don't know something, that's the first step. If you don't know something about the subject, then you should probably just zip, listen. Right? And so people thought I knew something about it because I was just listening and nodding and taking it in, right? Do they think you know something if you'll just be quiet? I think it was Abraham Lincoln and maybe some other people that said something like, it's better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to speak and remove all doubt. (laughs) It's better to be silent and thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. In Proverbs 12, he goes on and he says this, a fool's displeasure is known at once. Let's just go off at the mouth. But whoever ignores an insult is sensible. He goes on and it says, A shrewd person conceals knowledge, but a foolish heart publicizes stupidity. How do you publicize something? (laughs) Out of your mouth, right? Just vomit words out. And then everyone knows. Did you find Ecclesiastes? Look at your neighbor and say, I will not be a fool. In Ecclesiastes 5, verse 2, I'm going to read verses 2 through 7, so if you're following along. It says, do not be hasty to speak. I mean, that's, that's a lot of wisdom right there, right? Just starting right there. Do not be hasty to speak. Do not be impulsive to make a speech before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. The point is, is he's listening. He's listening and he's witness to what we say. In verse 3, just as dreams accompany much labor, so also a fool's voice comes with many words. Place where there's lots and lots and lots and lots of words, fool. Verse 4, when you make a vow to God, don't delay fulfilling it, because he does not delight in fools. Fulfill what you vow. Don't be quick to vow it, and if you vow it, keep it. Right? Verse 5, better that you do not vow than that you vow and not fulfill it. Be a person of your word. A person of your word. If you want to walk as an upright believer, follower of Jesus, this is one of the number one things that you can do is say what you mean, mean what you say, and do what you say. Right? Be a person of your word. If you realize you're unable to keep your word on something, renegotiate with them. Whoever you made your promise to or said that you'd be there at such and such a time, call them up. Say, I'm not able to make it at that time. Can we do another time? Let them know. Right? Be a person of your word. Verse 6, do not let your mouth bring guilt on you or condemn you. Or some translations say, don't let your mouth lead you into sin. And do not say in the presence of the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry with your words and destroy the work of your hands? For many dreams bring futility, so do many words. Futility. Many words, futility. In fact, there's a scripture like that in Proverbs 14.23 that says, There is profit in all hard work, but endless talk leads only to poverty. All talk, no action. Right? We need... A little less talk and a whole lot more action. Well, that's for someone that's been talking too much. Then you've got people that don't talk enough. They continually face problems and they just stay quiet and they don't engage the tool that the Lord has given to them by their mouth. 
to open their mouth and speak to the issues, speak to the problem, declare out the good things. So you and I, we're going to be swift to hear, right? Slow to speak is what, what Scripture tells us. Be swift to listen, quick to listen, but slow to voice our opinion. Um, goes on in Proverbs, he says, a fool speaks before he hears the whole matter. Quick to talk. Also says that a wise man ponders his answer. He considers his response. Doesn't just go off half-cocked. And I think these are all things that are really basic that we would all be able to say, yeah, yeah, we agree with that. But the thing is, is where we end up in self-deception is when we agree with it, but then we don't actually do it. Right? And, and most of us have been guilty on one side or another of this. And when you find that you're in the wrong side of it, just repent. That means change. Make a new agreement with yourself and say, you know what? I'm going to the next opportunity I have to just go yakety yak yak yak. I'm going to be quiet and I'm going to listen. You guys are listening real well. Everyone's afraid to even say amen. Let's say this. I am quick to listen. And I am slow to voice my opinion. I consider my words before I speak. All right, let's look at some death confession or faith-filled words to the negative. In Proverbs 6, in verse 2, it says, You have been trapped by what you said, ensnared by the words of your mouth. And we've talked um, extensively about how your words can lay in wait for you. And when you say things, you know, I remember I used to say things. Yeah, every year between this and this month, I would always get this cough really bad, like racking dry cough, almost debilitating year after year after year. In the same month, I would always get it, and I would say, you know, I get this every year, and, and my words were self-fulfilling prophecy. Just on and on and on until I discovered the power of my words and that not only am I redeemed from that silly stuff, but I also can say how it's going to be. And I started saying, you know what, I no longer cough like that. I don't get that every winter. And it's been years now since I've had that. Just cut it off and shut it down with your mouth. In uh, 18, verse 7, a fool's mouth is his devastation and his lips are a trap for his life. In chapter 12, it says the wicked are trapped by their own words. In, in Ecclesiastes 10, it says the lips of a fool consume him. So we see that our words, our tongue can be our own worst enemy if we do not rule it. Right? If we just let it run wild, then that's what we're going to be reaping is wild and not in a good way. But if we will, like the governor of a ship, right? The pilot of a ship can steer that ship in James, it says. Well, just like that, you can steer your life and your body with your tongue. Remember later in James, he says how a big fire, a little spark can kindle. And he said this in relation to the tongue. How just a little spark can burn hundreds of thousands of acres. Out west, we see that frequently. And it all started with just a little thing. And it's likening the power of your tongue being able to do that same great damage. Just a little thing and cause big damage. Or just a little thing and cause great righteousness. It's not just to the negative. Don't think just negative on this. It works both ways. 
We call that a a life confession, faith-filled words to the positive. In Romans 10, you remember, uh, not Romans 10, Romans 4, where it says that God calls things that do not exist as though they exist, or He calls them into being things that do not exist. He said this in relation to renaming Abraham. Abram, he was Abram, right? And then God comes along and says, we're going to call you a new name, Abraham, which means father of many nations. But he has no children, and his wife can't get pregnant, and he's old. He's old, right? He, he's not, it's not likely that he's going to have children. He said that his wife was past the age of childbearing and had never been able to, to begin with. So, two strikes on that one. And yet, God comes along and calls something as though it exists that it doesn't by saying, oh, I'm now going to call you father of many nations. So, when you go out to Walmart next week and you greet that person in the aisle, you say, hi, I'm father of many nations. What's your name? And renamed him. So now, Abraham begins to use this language and say it this way. And he introduces himself that way. And I'm sure that he probably got some crazy looks. You know, what's this kook calling himself a father of many nations? He doesn't even have any kids. What for nations, Abraham? People probably started calling him Abraham just because it sounded funny. But you know the rest of the story. Old man, barren wife, and then God comes along. And he is the father of many nations. Multiple nations, and then on top of all of that, through Jesus, endless, countless people into that nation. And so, when God calls things that don't exist as though they do, we always think of it this way. We think, well, when God says something like flipping a light switch, boom, it happens instantly. Well, it didn't there. It took a while of planting seed and getting Abraham moved into a position of faith for that, and then it did come to pass. That didn't make God a false prophet at year 10, at year 15, at year 20, when he still didn't have children. It was 24 years from the first time that the Lord told him that he was going to make him the father of many nations. He didn't rename him at that point. That was a little bit later. But still, 24 years, does that make God a false prophet? But how many times do we give up on our words working for us, even when we speak the very words of God? Well, because six months went by, and it didn't happen. So let's have a little more confidence in the Lord, and in the words that we speak out that are inspired by Him. I, I do like when things happen instantly. Those are fun, right? And sometimes things do happen that way. Well, we also know that there's this thing that we renamed it last week from faith and patience to just patience, right? So you can have, you can have patience and faith, and, and your faith will never go where your patience won't, all right? All right, Proverbs 10, verse 11 says, The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. We looked at that last week. Proverbs 12 says, The speech of the upright rescues them. Your words can rescue you. This was written by the... Prior to Jesus, the wisest man that ever walked on the planet. He said, by rebellious speech, an evil person is trapped. By their words, they're trapped. But then the flip side, the the life side of it is a righteous person, implied by their words, escapes from trouble. By their words. 
You remember when COVID came along and they closed everything down and we kept right on having church. And that first week, how I got up and I said that, you know what? Um, COVID isn't allowed here. Nobody's getting sick. We're going to keep meeting. And this is just how it's going to be. Just put our words out there. That was in March. All kinds of people in the community got sick. But not one single person got sick here until August. Lots of things happened between March and August. Things opened back up, on and on and on. And we can even look at some, some things that contributed to it. But my point is, is, did our word, people looked at us and said, well, how is that even possible? Because, we, you know, we weren't masking, we weren't social distancing, we weren't even using hand sanitizer. There was none back there. And yet people weren't getting sick. But there was plenty of people in the community that were sick. So our words can work for us. And are we using them to the good? He says later in uh, Proverbs 12, he says, A person will be satisfied with good by the fruit of his mouth. It doesn't say by his good thinking. It doesn't say, you know, by what his friends do or by his job. It doesn't even say by the Lord. It says by the fruit of his mouth. What is the fruit of your mouth? It's what comes out of it. He says the tongue of the wise brings healing. The tongue of the wise brings healing. He goes on, he says anxiety in a person's heart weighs it down, but a good word cheers it up. Did you know that your words can be an antidote for stress, for anxiety, for fear? Someone's fearing about something, and your good words just cheer them up and help dispel that. Get rid of it. Your words carry power, so much power. In Proverbs 13, from the fruit of his mouth, a person will enjoy good things. Let's say, I enjoy good things because I say so. In Proverbs 14.25, it says a truthful witness rescues lives. In Proverbs 15.4, it says a tongue that heals is a tree of life. In Proverbs 16.21, it says pleasant speech increases learning. You want your, your children to learn things? You want your students to learn things? Pleasant speech increases that ability for them. Increases that ability for them. I remember when our children, so our boys were struggling with um, some things in school when they were younger, and we began to have them make a whole list of confessions over themselves every day before they went out the door and got on the bus. You know, saying things like, I'm sharp, I'm quick, I'm smart, I learn quickly, and I have a supernatural memory and can remember what I learn, and on and on and on. And it wasn't long, and we saw the fruit of that in their grades. And you might say, well, that was just coincidence. Well, oh, maybe. But I find the more things I say to the positive, the more good coincidences I have. So don't, don't disturb me. Don't stop me. It says in Proverbs 16.23, the heart of a wise person instructs his mouth and adds learning to his speech. So we don't just say what we feel. We tell ourselves what to say. Verse 24, pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the taste and health to the body. Your words can bring health to someone's body. Health, healing. You know, a tongue that heals is a tree of life. Say, that's my tongue. Let's, let's say some more things. 
I do not permit any rotten words to go out of my mouth. I speak only words that build others up and give grace to those who hear. I will not grieve God's Holy Spirit by whom I am sealed to the day of redemption. I speak the truth in love. And I grow up in all things into the body of the Lord Jesus Christ who is my head. The Word of God is truth. Say this, my tongue is the pen of a skillful writer and grace flows from my lips. Alright, let's go look at Matthew 12 and let's learn some things here. Things Jesus said. You say, well, yeah, those Proverbs are great, but I just put more stock in what Jesus said. All right, we're going to give you both barrels then. Matthew 12 and verse 33. Jesus is speaking to the disciples here, red letters. He says, either make the tree good and its fruit will be good, or make the tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. Have you ever seen fruit on a tree? You've seen an apple hanging on a tree and you go, wow, isn't that orange tree wonderful? No, because you see the fruit on it, you know what kind of tree it is. It's an apple tree. Or if you travel to other countries like I do sometimes, I see fruit hanging on trees and I don't know what that fruit is. So I have to ask someone, what kind of tree is that? What, what is that fruit? And sometimes they say, oh, it's really good. But other times they have these trees in Turkey, they plant um, in, in this one region in particular, but along the streets and in the like uh, the center, the center concrete curb in the middle between the two lanes of traffic, and they have these orange trees they plant. So in orange season, it's beautiful. There's just they're just loaded with oranges. I mean, everywhere, up and down all these streets, and it's amazing. And I thought, wow, these guys are brilliant. Plant fruit trees in town, and let people, you know, whoever wants to eat it. This is amazing. And then they said, yeah, they look nice, but you can't eat it. It's more animal food than anything because they just are, they're not good to eat. Oh, well, see, here we have a tree, but with bad fruit. And no matter what you do to that tree, it doesn't make it produce a nice sweet orange. It's still just a piece of junk. And so... Thankfully for you and I, we don't have to stay in the condition that we were born into of being a bad tree. And we can be transferred into the kingdom of light and be a tree of life. Here he goes on and he says, he says, um, so a tree is known by its fruit. And then he calls them a name. He says, you brood of vipers. How can you speak good things when you are evil? For the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. Or like I've heard it before, the mouth leaks from the overflow of the heart. Right? What's in leaks out sometimes. And so, what's coming out of your mouth? It speaks from the overflow. What are you full of? The more of what you put into you, the more that's going to come out. I talk about airplanes and flying a lot anymore. Why? Because I put a lot of that into me in the last year. But you know, one year ago, I didn't talk about flying at all, except maybe once every six months or something. Because that wasn't in there. 
But when you begin to take something in, and you take it in, and you take it in, pretty soon it's going to start coming out, right? Okay, so here, a good per- a person, look at what he says in verse 35. A good person produces good things. Say good things. From his storeroom of good. And an evil person produces evil things from his storeroom of evil. And your heart is the storeroom. Go with me. We're going to come back here in a minute. Go with me over to uh, chapter 15 and verse 10. Chapter 15, verse 10. Jesus summoning the crowd, He told them, Listen and understand. It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of His mouth. This defiles a person. Then the disciples came up and told him, Do you know that the Pharisees took offense when they heard what you said? Do you know taking offense is optional? Because there was other people there that heard what he said that they weren't offended. So be careful how you hear. He goes on and he says in verse 13, He replied, Every plant that my heavenly Father didn't plant will be uprooted. Leave them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind guide the blind, both will fall into a pit. Then Peter said, Explain this parable to us. Do you still lack understanding? He asked. Don't you realize that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? Right? Down the toilet and into the septic system. It goes through you. It says, but what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart. The storeroom. What comes out of the mouth comes out of the storeroom. And this defiles a person. For from the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, sexual immoralities, thefts, false testimonies, slander. These are the things that defile a person. But eating with unwashed hands does not defile a person. See, food, he compared, look at verse 17. Don't you realize that what goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? It's a natural thing. And he compares a natural thing to a spiritual thing. Because in verse 18, it's now a spiritual thing. But what comes out of the mouth comes out of the heart. And this defiles a person. And why would I say that that's a spiritual thing? Is because Jesus said, you know, flesh doesn't help at all. But the words that I speak to you are spirit and are life. He identified his words as of spirit. So your words carry spiritual authority to the good or to the bad or they're just blanks. Idle. Useless. Let's go back to chapter 12 now. We'll read verse 35 again. A good person produces good things from his storeroom of good. And an evil person produces evil things from his storeroom of evil. I tell you that on the day of judgment... People will, come to, people will have to account for every worthless or idle word they speak. Every empty word they speak. Every word that's not working is inactive or is faithless, you could say. People will have to account for it. Now, it doesn't say you're going to go to hell for saying it, but you're going to have to answer for why. Why were your words just empty and useless? And then he goes on in verse 37 and he gets real serious. He says, for your words, by your words, you will be acquitted or justified or declared righteous. By your words, you will be declared righteous. And by your words, you will be condemned or declared unrighteous. 
So not only will we have to give an account for when we just put out a bunch of foolish words or empty words or inactive words, but our words are the difference, and we talked about this through the weeks, are the difference between being born again or not. Our words are the difference between God living in you or not. It is by our confession that He comes to live within us is what it tells us in 1 John. And he also says in Romans 10 that if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, that we will be saved. Our words are the difference between saved or not saved. And here, he's just simply saying, your words, put verse verse 37 up in the, the TPT translation, the Passion Translation. And then I'm going to have you put some up in the Amplified after that. With Passion Translation, your very words will be used as evidence against you. And your words will declare you either innocent or guilty. Put up a 36 in the Amplified. The Amplified is a translation that does just that. It amplifies it. It adds more descriptors into it. Many of the, of the Greek words and Hebrew words in Scripture have multiple meanings to them. And so a lot of times the Amplified will just expand on that meaning and add, add some of those meanings into it. In verse 36, he says, But I tell you, on the day of judgment, men will have to give an account for every idle, inoperative, non-working word they speak. Verse 37 For by your words you will be justified and acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned and sentenced. So our words are a big deal. Jesus said your words are such a big deal that they're going to be the difference between you being declared righteous or declared unrighteous. And yet, for most of the people on the planet today, they act as though their words don't mean anything. I mean, I used to live that way. I was chief of them, right? I loved to say things that weren't true just to get a rise out of people. And I was delivered from that, thankfully. And you can be too if that's you. Let's say this. I carry the power of life and death in my tongue. And I love it. And I see its fruit. My tongue is set apart to bless. And for God's life-giving purposes... The Word of God is forever settled in heaven. And He watches over His Word to accomplish it. His Word is in my mouth and in my heart. And I proclaim His Word on this earth. I am a believer. And these signs do follow me. In the name of Jesus, I cast out demons. I speak in new tongues. No devil can harm me. I lay hands on the sick, and they do recover. Worship team, you can come. Some people don't like to say things like that about the devil, that no devil can harm me. And I'll admit that'd be pretty scary if I was on my own and didn't have the Lord living in me. Because if I didn't have the Lord, I'd be no match for Him. But with the Lord in me, He's no match for me. That's why Scripture says resist the devil and he'll flee from you. I mean, that means like tripping, running away, trying to get away so fast. Right? Flee from you. And as you stand in the authority that God has 
that Jesus has won for you and I, that He established for you and I, then we can boldly declare things like, no devil can harm me. There's no plan in hell. There's no demonic strategy against me that will work. See, use your words to work for you. If you're going to say something, make it be something useful. You know, I, I say something like this, that, you know, in Scripture, it's clear that a person could forfeit their salvation. There, there's a way to do that. And I've also said that, you know, I don't know where a sin goes from being a sin that's not unto death, as spoken of in 1 John 5, to being a sin that's unto death and that you shouldn't even pray for that person. I don't know exactly where that line is. But what I do know is that I will never cross that line. I will never forfeit my salvation. I will go to heaven. Why can I boldly declare that? Because I'm His family. And I'm putting my words out in front of me to establish the way for me so that I will never depart from it. And in a moment where my flesh would be weak and want to go a different way, I've already put my words, spiritual force, into motion to come and to catch me and to keep me from going that way. All right? Your words are spiritual containers. And so use them deliberately. Stand with me. Let's say a few more things. Say, I am redeemed. And I act like it. This means I won't stop proclaiming His goodness because I am redeemed and I say so. Hallelujah. My tongue works for me. I use my mouth for good. My mouth blesses others. My mouth creates a way. Because I speak the Word of God to my problems. And I believe His Word will be accomplished according to His promise. Let me encourage you tonight. As the pastor was preaching, I know that there are some of you here tonight that knew within yourself there is there have been things you've been declaring and saying that the Lord's telling you you need to stop it. So I'm encourage you tonight. If I'm speaking to you, if the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord is speaking to you tonight, cut that off. Repent for participating with that bad death confession. And then decree a new thing. Declare a new thing. For some of you, there's something that came up on the inside. Lord, touched your heart. I need to be speaking such and such. Do it. Do it tonight. Tell somebody tonight. And there are people here tonight that need to tell somebody before you leave this building I am a follower of Jesus. I have chosen Jesus. You need to tell somebody, I am surrendering my heart to Jesus. God is a responder. But we have to take a move. We got to take a step. And I'm, maybe you're like, well, I've prayed the prayer of salvation. I'm a Christian. But somebody here tonight has wavered. 
and isn't sure and like maybe I don't know and no you need to stand up and tell somebody before you walk out of this building tonight I choose Jesus just walk up I choose Jesus I just want you to know I have surrendered my heart to Jesus I want you to know that you need to make that declaration tonight you will declare a thing and it will be established for you and light will shine on your way Thank you, Lord, for light. In your light, we see light. Let's just tell him right now, Jesus, you're my Lord. I follow you. Thank you, Lord. How many of you ever felt like you've gone through fire and water? Like you've gone through difficult times before? There's a scripture in Psalm 66, and this is what they say. Said so we went through fire and water, and they're talking about the Lord. We went through fire and water, but you brought us out yes, to abundance. abundance. You brought us out to rich fulfillment. You brought us out to my cup overflowing. That word's how that's how they translated in Psalms 23. My cup overflows. It's the same word. You, Lord, brought me out to rich fulfillment. You know, we used, when we first stepped into the move of God in our lives in in 2009, and the church here was sending people out to Colorado to minister to our little group, and there was one individual that came up and started telling my wife and I multiple times, I just see the favor of God all over you. I just see the favor of God all over you. Now, nothing felt further from the truth. We were in the middle of losing everything financially. We were in the middle of, we were staring at homelessness. We had over a million, or right close to a million dollars in debt. And looking like it was the end of the world. All right? I felt like favor was as foreign to me as Mars is. But I also knew that the Word says that he has given us grace upon grace, that Jesus is grace upon grace for us. And this guy says, I see favor on you. He is giving life with his tongue. And he is giving us something to, to take a hold of, to grab a hold of. And boy, did we. We're like, you know what? I received that. I believe that. The favor of God is all over me. When well, now look at me. I mean, the favor of God is and was all amen, over amen. me. Amen. Amen going from where we were to the Lord moving us to Pennsylvania to be with you beautiful people. The favor of God, is right here, we went through fire and water, but you brought us out to rich fulfillment. Rich fulfillment. Someone needs to say, the Lord is bringing me out. The Lord is bringing me out to rich fulfillment. His favor is on me. His favor is on me. Hallelujah. Thank you, sister. And there's one more thing I need to do. If, if you have been struggling with thoughts of suicide, I want you to come talk to me after the service. I know there's no faster way to make so nobody comes and talks to the pastor because no one wants, you know, I don't want everyone else to think that was me. So no one talks to me. I'm actually trying to get out early to go to dinner. That's not true. I said I don't do that anymore. If, if, you are dealing with those thoughts come talk to me or talk to Karen or talk to Jen or talk to John 
Anyone in here who's willing to deal with that and pray someone through that, break that off in the name of Jesus, raise your hand. All right, look around, look at all the hands that are up. All right, there's all kinds of people that are willing to talk to you. So now you guys can talk to me and people won't think that, see. But don't go home with that still lingering and not being dealt with. All right, that was not in my sermon, hadn't even crossed my mind, and the Lord dealt very strongly with me to talk about that a little bit in the sermon and, and again, to come back with it now. So if that's you, don't go home without dealing with that with somebody. All right, one way that we love God in this house is we love on each other, so do that as you go. Take the time to fellowship with each other. everyone. Welcome. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Church of the Word International here in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. I'm so happy to be with here with all of you and family. We're all just family and we are the most blessed people on the face of the earth. I truly believe that with all my heart. Praise the Lord. I'd like to encourage our time of worship tonight, which is the entire night, by the way. From Psalms 47, King Hezekiah had just got a wonderful victory over the um, Assyrians, and he wrote this psalm. And as I was reading it, I thought about the great victory that Jesus won. He battled and won for us on Calvary and shedding his blood, forgiving all the sins of mankind and opening up the door of salvation for whosoever. Are there many whosoever's in here tonight that have said yes to the saving name of Jesus Christ? Amen. So Psalms, um, I, what I love about this psalm, it's a psalm of not just reading, it's a psalm of doing. And I remember one time it was uh, really extremely depressed. This is many years ago. And I had so many problems, I didn't know what to do. I didn't see the light of it. And I started reading Psalms. And in one of the Psalms, it said, jump for joy. And boy, did I need joy. So I literally started jumping like a human pogo stick, literally. And I happened to go around in a circle. As I went around, I saw this guy stop in my great big bay window. And he was looking like this at me. And I broke out in laughter. It literally works. It really does. So in Psalms 47, it says, Oh, clap your hands, all you people. Yeah. Yeah. See, that just, doesn't that do something on the inside? And then the next one is shout to God with the voice of triumph. Jesus. Glory to God. You cannot stay depressed when you're shouting Jesus or hallelujah or all those famous words in the Bible. You just can't. It's like oil and water. They just don't mix. And why do we do this? For the Lord Most High is awesome. He is a great king over all the earth. He will subdue the peoples under us and the nations under our feet. He will choose our inheritance for us. I'd rather him choose it than me. Absolutely. The excellence of Jacob, whom he loves, and he loves you too. 
God has gone up with a shout. The Lord with a sound of triumph. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our King. Sing praises. Sing praises with understanding. Know why you're doing it. Why do you praise Him? Why do you give Him thanks? Because He is a good, good Father. Amen. God reigns over the nations. He sits on his holy throne. The princes of the people have gathered together, the people of God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God. He is greatly exalted. That's why we praise him. That's why we come together on a night like this, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We have so much to praise him for. Amen. Well, let's stand together as family and let's put the word to work. Hallelujah. I see some jumping. There we go. We got Amen. Jump for joy. Amen. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Yeah. Clap your hands, all you people. Woo. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for sending Jesus that you would bring us into the family and that you would make us your own and that you provided a way for us to walk in divine health and to receive healing and to be, be full of life, Zoe life. And I thank you for this, Lord. And I bless you for it. Someone say, thank you, Jesus. Ushers, if I could have you come prepare the communion elements. We're going to roll the table over so that we can um, have people file up past the table. Now, the way we do it in this house is everyone's invited to take part in the communion elements, um, man, woman, child. And, um, you know, I was, when I grew up, when I was little, we weren't allowed to take part of these things until we had become a signed on the dotted line church member. And um, I'm not criticizing those that do it that way, but what I am saying is in this house, we believe that the blood of Jesus applies to everyone. And that there's not a limit of, of if you're part of this church or not, or if you're a child. I remember them saying, well, the reason we don't have the children do it is because they don't understand it all. Well, the truth be told, I don't understand it all, but I still receive it, right? I'm still grateful for the miracle and how, what the Lord has done for me. So, so you're all invited, and as parents, um, it's your decision whether your children join in or not. And let's just file up. Let's start in the back and come up the center aisles and go out the outside to return to your seat. And then hold the elements until everyone has it and we'll take it together. If you cannot um, walk up the aisle, that's okay. We'll bring it to you and uh, make sure everyone gets some.
Are you thankful for the blood? Well, Josh is going to lead us in taking part of the elements. Did everybody get some? Anybody left out? Okay, good. So I asked the Lord what he wanted me to share, and uh, he said, share what Shane shared this morning at men's group. Uh, It was really powerful. I asked Shane to lead this this morning, and, and we just had a great time uh, in the Lord's presence and ministering to each other. And Shane brought out something that was really good. You know, God is love, right? And so when you, when you think of 1 Corinthians 13, you think it's the love chapter, right? Well, he did something a little bit different, and it kind of hit home for a, for a couple of us. He read the first couple of verses. Uh, Though I speak with the tongues of man, with men and of angels, but have not God, I have nothing. God is love, so we can replace God with the word love. And then he said, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understanding all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can move mountains, but have not God, I am nothing. It's God's love that drove him to send his son for us. His love for us to bring us back into relationship. And it's Jesus' love for us that looked at the cross and looked at the punishment he was about to bear, the breaking of his body, and he looked at it with joy because he saw the end result. So as you take the bread, remember joy in the trials because there's an end result that is good thank you Jesus and I encourage you to take the bread with faith because his body was broken so that we could be healed so if you have any sickness any disease any hurt in your body tonight just believe in faith for healing the promise of healing that is ours and what does this represent The blood of the covenant. Jesus' blood makes us righteous. John Tobias once uh, shared his testimony up here, and he said that he physically had to, some mornings, just put that robe of righteousness on because he didn't feel it. And so he did a physical act to help him believe that he is righteous. Jesus' blood makes us righteous. And it is a great gift. Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for the gift of Jesus and everything that he means to us, his death, his uh, burial, and his resurrection. Father, thank you. We worship you and we praise you and we honor you today, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Lord, for that robe of righteousness. You can pass your cups into the center aisle and they'll come by with and pick them up. Look at your neighbor and tell him, I like your robe. We'll go ahead and send the uh, children to their classes and the teachers.
turn and love on someone as they're going. Introduce yourself. Well, good evening, everyone. Welcome to Church of the Word again. We're excited to see y'all. You know, it really is a privilege to be able to come together, to worship together, to open up the Word of God and be strengthened for your life. Isn't that a privilege to you? It's a privilege to me. Well, we'd like to welcome you if you're here for the very first time. You just raise your hand and wave at us. I know we have some over here, some in the back. Welcome to Church of the Word. We trust you'll be blessed. So um, we do have, do we still have those cards to give out, ushers? We have some cards. You just fill them out, um, information if you care to, and put it in the basket when it goes by. So, Well, we're going to prepare to return the tithe to the Lord. So if you need a cash envelope for your giving, you can raise your hand. If you're giving by credit card, please fill out all of the blanks. That's so helpful when you do that. And um, we're going to read out of Hebrews tonight. Hebrews 11.4 says, By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. Hmm. What did Abel do by faith? He brought an offering. He brought an offering by faith. Faith is in the heart. See, faith was in his heart first. There was something in his heart first. And it was expressed in this outward thing. You know, tithes and offerings are a big deal to God. You know that? You know, in some circles and churches, that, that's kind of diminished. We don't want to make too big a deal about giving time. We, we, we want to just kind of pretend it's not there. You know, here's the basket. Don't really look. And I've even been in some services where it's almost like an apology in the air when the basket goes by. <laughs> Anybody know what I'm talking about? That's, yeah, good. <laughs> You've been in good churches. <laughs> that, it, you know, I don't, what is that? What is that? Well, it could be a number of things, but one, one thing it could be, not saying it is in every case, but one thing that could be is that you're, you have more of the fear of man than you have the fear of God. You know, if we talk about that, if we preach about that, if we mention that, people might think we're trying to do a pull on money and, well, we don't want that. Well, no, nobody wants that. But then you're not teaching the word. And then people are missing out. So, so we don't do... See, you want to be God-pleasing more than your people-pleasing. That's the motivator. So we don't diminish the word of God in this house. And it's the word to give, bring God offerings. It's a big deal to him. This was, what did it say here? By... You know, God says he was commended as righteous, pointing back to his offering. God looked at his offering. Now, you could know what you're really saying is God looked at his heart. But you can't really disconnect the two because what's in your heart just comes out. There's just always this outward demonstration of whatever's on the inside. So it's connected. Um, let's go down to verse, uh, verse 6 says this, says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. Impossible to please God, it says, without faith. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and, do you see the and? Yeah. 
must believe he exists and that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. See, God doesn't just want you to believe he exists. He doesn't just want you to believe he's there. He wants you to be confident he's good and that he will respond to you. And that when, when you just give him everything of your life, everything in your heart, that there's reward in that. Because that's who he is. You, you can't try to divorce the two. I mean, the devils believe in Trumbull. Trumbull and don't think he's good. To them, he's, to them, he's not good because they don't align with him. Well, they can't. I don't know. We're, not, we're getting off track here. <laughs> but he wants you and I to surrender all. He wants you to, to believe and have confidence in that he is a giver and not a taker. And so... When we give a tithe, when we give an offering, it's supposed to be a reflection of the heart of faith, a heart of love, a heart of, Lord, you're my everything, and that's the heart it's supposed to be done in. And that's the, that's the heart that will please God. You know, you're confident that he exists. You're confident that he's going to respond to you and be a rewarder and a keeper of his word and take care of you, and that's what pleases him. You know, did there have to be a better offering you know just thinking about verse 4 where it says um, Abel brought a better offering than Cain did there have to be a better I don't think God's up there just with this inclination to, to to grade and categorize and all this I think they both could have came to God with this heart of faith heart of Lord I'm giving you my all and I just want to do something for you I'm giving you my best and and I believe you're good and just coming that I think God could have looked at both of their offerings and been pleased. There didn't have to be a better then. I just, I just thought about that it didn't have to be that way. They could have both pleased God. Well, it, we don't, if we go through the motions without that kind of heart, we're really not going to please God any better than Cain did. So, so we don't want that. Let's always be checking up on our heart and, and come to God knowing he's good, knowing we can count on him, and just returning the tithe because we love him and we, we're trusting him. He's our source. Amen? Absolutely. All right. Okay, take a hold of your tithe. And we're going to bless it and present it to the Lord. Father, I just thank you. You're so good that when, when we come to you, that you respond to us with good things. Reward is a good thing. Lord, I thank you that you're a rewarder and that you're a giver. And Lord, we just trust you with our life. We present you our tithes. We present you our offerings. And we're looking to you, Father. We're looking to you to provide. We're looking to you to carry us through and to pour out, to open the windows of heaven for us and to provide every need that there may be facing us here today. Lord, I thank you that it's finished, that it's being brought to us timely and on time. In the name of Jesus, amen. And the ushers can pass the baskets, and people will give to the Lord and not to man. Well, we have a ladies' night out Monday night. So if you haven't signed up for that or talked to Karen, it's at the Taj Mahal. So, so it's going to be an exotic night, I think. If you would like to, to go and be a part of that, um, make sure you talk to Karen so we have the reservations handled for that. So... Well, it's also Mission Saturday, so um, I'm sure you're all prepared with your missions donations. I think uh, Katie and Troy have, they're back from Ghana. Let's give them a hand clap, and they're going to share a little bit tonight. Well, it's good to be back. 
We are blessed to be back. We were blessed to be where we were. And as we said before we went, we were going gone from the 10th to the 23rd of January. So that means we just got back this past Tuesday, and uh, we, we have a report for you, a very, very good report. And what's funny is I, I was saying to Katie just before I came up here how sometimes people will come back from, from a, a mission trip, and they'll say, oh, you know, let me tell you about what took place. The car broke down, and so-and-so got sick, and so-and-so vomited on my feet, and all that kind of stuff. None of that happened with us, and that's, that is not what you want to hear when you come back from a mission trip, even if it did happen. So we're not going to tell you any of those things. Katie. As Troy said, it is great to be back, um, and we have a lot of great things to share with you tonight. Um, as we stated before we left, you know, our overall purpose for traveling to Ghana is to accomplish, accomplish the Great Commission. And in Mark 16, 14 through 20, it says, Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at a table. And he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up serpents with their hands, and if they drink any deadly poison it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven, sat down at the right hand of God, and they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the messages by the accompanying signs. While in Ghana, we allowed the Holy Spirit to guide our steps and lead us to people who needed to hear the good news of Jesus. He led us to schools, marketplaces, businesses, farms, homes, a bar, and even a mosque. As we shared the gospel message, we expected and saw in action the signs that are promised to accompany evangelistic outreach. During our time on the mission field, uh, we met with pastors to develop discipleship relationships and form com connections for men, women, and children who become new followers of Christ. We led many women and children um, to the realization that they needed Jesus in their lives now. We shared the love of Jesus with everyone we encountered. We encouraged our Ghanaian Christian friends to accomplish the Great Commission in their motherland, Ghana. We laid hands on the sick and they were healed, casted out demons in the mighty name of Jesus, prophesied and received prophetic words, glorified God for every soul saved, broken, healed, and their lives changed by Jesus. Um, before I hand the mic back over to Troy, I will share um, one of the experiences that really touched my heart when we were in Garu, which is the Upper East region of Ghana. Um, while we were there, we, um, well, we first made our first trek to Garu back in July of 2021, um, and we established some connections there, and then we visited Garu again on this previous trip, and our uh, van driver, Isaac, he was with us this time again, and the change in him is astounding. It still blows my mind in thinking about it. Um, but we were at a village, and we broke up into small groups. It was myself and Isaac and Ishmael and Bernadine, and we were talking to the people that we saw, and Bernadine and I walked up to two women, and we started you know, sharing Jesus with them and talking with them. And at one point, we noticed that Isaac just kept bringing all of these people to us. So what started as two women grew to five or six women. Um, and it was just amazing to see. It was a, a beautiful picture of the body of Christ accomplishing the Great Commission. Um, you know, while we were sharing the gospel, Isaac's out bringing more people to us. When we were done with those people, he had more people lined up for us to go see. Um, so it was just uh, a really great experience to be a part of. Um, I know we 
definitely had a good time in 2021 and saw, you know, the move of God there. We definitely did this time, and I think we're both excited for what we see in July again. <laughs> so since we weren't given the entire service, um, and we have a limited time this evening, uh, however, it would take hours if we were to share everything that the Lord did while we were over there. Uh, what we would like to do is, is, is give you a list a list of the things that took place. And I know that Katie already gave you a brief list, but I want to go over some more things in a little bit of detail, if that's okay. Um, and by the way, when we say the word we, I'm talking about us and the Holy Spirit working together. It wasn't just Katie and I or the, the young men and women that were with us, but it was we and the Holy Spirit being with us. So the first thing that took place, we met with and developed discipleship connections with seven pastors um, so that when our followers, the new followers of Christ, um, gave their hearts to Jesus, they had a place to go. They had people who could attend to them and who could continue to disciple them along the way. We visited two schools in the Upper East Region. Can you imagine visiting schools here in the United States, walking up to the school, finding the principal, walking into the school, having all of the students come to you and being able to preach and teach the name of Jesus? That's exactly what we did. 95% of the students and the teachers that were with us were actually Muslim. And when we were finished, 150 teachers and students together gave their hearts to the Lord. We visited a farm and met with a family of 11. That family of 11 invited a dozen more people from their community, and we were able to talk to them about Jesus. When we were finished, we handed out Bibles to each one, and each and every one of them gave their hearts to Jesus. All of them, again, were Muslim people, no longer. Notice I'm saying 95% of the people, currently 95% of the people were Muslim. That's not going to be that way anymore. When we go back, that 95 is going to get down to 90 and 80 and 10 and, and so on. We're believing that all of the people are going to give their hearts to Jesus. We distributed 200 Bibles to people in the Upper East Region, in the Eastern Region, and in the greater Accra regions of Ghana. We went from house to house, business to business, spreading the good news of Jesus Christ, resulting in dozens of people becoming members of the kingdom of God. Most of them, again, were Muslim. We laid hands on more than 20 people and watched as the Lord healed them instantly. Yes, God is still in the business of miracles. He is. Here are a couple of examples of miraculous healings that took place, and these are just a few. A lady named Gladys was healed of constant pain and itching in her eyes instantly. Esther was released of a spirit of oppression that had bound her for more than four years. This lady couldn't, couldn't get, even go to sleep, but when she was prayed for, she was completely healed. There was a little girl who hadn't been able to talk for quite some time. That little girl was prayed over, and the spirit of muteness left her. Sarah was instantly healed of an insidious pain and constant movement in her stomach. And I don't know how many of you have ever done this, but when you lay hands on somebody, you can feel what's going on. I could feel the movement in her stomach that she said was causing her pain. As I prayed, the movement left. She opened her eyes wide, and she said, I'm healed. Again, miracles are taking place in our lives today. You just have to believe it and know. We shared the gospel with men, women, and children yes, there was a child there, in a palm wine bar in the town of Garu. This is the palm wine bar that you can see there. When we'd finished sharing the good news, we asked if anyone needed prayer. Nearly every person in the bar asked us to lay hands on them and pray for them. We laid hands on them and prayed for healed knees, ankles, eyes, stomachs, backs, and freedom from demonic oppression. I also prayed for a young girl that was there. That's that young girl that was mute. She no longer is. 
As we gathered our things, and this was really cool, as we gathered our things to go, I sat down, was going in my bag, putting everything back in that I needed to, and all of a sudden I got this tap on the shoulder. It was a little boy. He came, sat beside me, and he looked up at me and said, Please, sir, can you lay hands on me and heal me too? I said, Well, Jesus can heal you. So we laid hands on him, prayed for him. As his eyes opened, he jumped up. Now, this little boy had pain in his side so bad. He said he woke up in the morning with pain in his stomach. He didn't know where it came from. Didn't do anything. Lots of pain. Just a touch with my finger made him wince. It was that bad. Laid hands on his stomach gently, and he was completely healed. Ran to his mother, pulled his shirt up, and said, I'm healed, I'm healed. It's amazing stuff. I could go on and on all night. Would you like to hear more? Okay. Is that okay, Pastor? Okay. We shared the gospel with six women beside a mosque selling spices. All gave their hearts to Jesus. And what was really cool about this was the pastor, the Ghanaian pastor that was with us, had gone to mosques before and shared who Jesus was. Shared with people. He was spit upon, had urine dumped on him, and he was beaten. He was afraid to be there. The Holy Spirit led us there. We knew that this was a place to be. I didn't know it was a mosque. To me, it was just ladies along a wall. He knew what it was. But we shared the, the love of Jesus with those people. We shared who he was. And they all accepted him. While we were walking through the marketplace toward our vehicle where it was parked, we were stopped by half a dozen people, and they all asked us to pray for them. The Holy Spirit had now moved from leading us to the people, but leading the people to us so that they could receive what he had. As we continued walking from the marketplace, the Holy Spirit told me that we should walk down a small street across from the mosque. This time I did realize it was a mosque. But we walked across from the mosque. Upon entering the street, we encountered several beggars. I stopped and said, let's share the gospel here. Several of our Ghanaian team members were apprehensive about it. And one of them even stated, these are not the people that we need to share with. They're beggars. I immediately knew that these were exactly the people that we needed to share with. And we did. Now, I can't say that any one of those people gave their hearts to the Lord at that time. But they each had a seed planted in their hearts. They know the name of Jesus. They received the word. And I believe that they're going to receive him as well. So if you were here a few weeks ago, we were here, Katie and I, telling you about our pressing needs over in Ghana. And when we did, we said to you that we needed $25,000 to raise the roof on our center, on our center up there. This is our Western Africa outreach center. Since that time, we've received more than half of the $25,000 from you. Thank you. God bless you all. If you are prompted this evening or any time in the future to give, we still need more. So we are still receiving finances for the raising of the roof, and this will get done. This is a God thing. This isn't a person thing. We also told you about a little boy named Kweku who needed a sponsor. I'm pleased to inform you that he does have a sponsor. In fact, he had a sponsor that evening. So before we left the building, he was sponsored. There are, in fact, if we move on to the next slide, other children that need sponsors. There are hundreds of children. All of the children that you see in this picture are orphans. Each and every one of them needs someone who would be willing to sponsor them. So if that's you, please, please see me or probably Katie because she's the one in charge of that so that these children can receive sponsors. So in closing, let me tell you another story. Another story, if I still have time, Pastor. Yes, good. This story is about the pastor who was with us. His name is Christian Amaglo. Christian Amaglo, when he was born, was born to become a fetish priest. 
which is the same as a witch doctor. So his family already knew when he was born, that's what he would be. So he was raised to be that. He was taught to be that. He learned about all of their gods and all of the other stuff that you and I know is completely false. And at age 15, he was almost ready to become that fetish priest or witch doctor. He got really, really sick. Didn't know what to do about it. He prayed to every god he knew. He used every potion he knew of, and he couldn't get himself well. But he'd remembered that someone at some time had spoken the name of Jesus to him. He'd heard the name Jesus. So he said, Jesus, if you're real and you heal me, I'll follow you for the rest of my life. He was in his room, in his room, in a tiny little space, very dark. And on the wall, he said there was a round circle, a glowing round circle with the face of Jesus in it. And he told him, he said, I'm Jesus. You are healed. And he was healed instantly at that moment. So he no longer became a fetish priest or a, a witch doctor. He now is a pastor, and he continues his evangelistic outreach, not just with us, but on a continual basis, on a continual basis. This is a true man of God who was, had his life changed by having heard one name, Jesus. Thank you for allowing us to share. Jesus is wonderful, and the Word says He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. I am grateful for that. Just like He would confirm His Word to the disciples when they went out and preached it, He'll do it for you and I, and right here we had a whole bunch of testimony of it. We are going to take the mission offering and receive that, and... um, Send that to all the different places that you designate it for. Once a month we do this on the last weekend of the month. And if you're making out a check, you can make it out to CWI. If you want it designated to a particular mission or group in the designation field, write who it's for. And then 100% of it will get sent to them uh, in the process. We will um, also be able to give you the tax receipt for it then at the end of the year. Um, I want to give you an update on the Mirabellas and what they're, what they're up to. We've had uh, Eric just went and joined them this past week, and so he's now with them in northern Iraq. And they have um, just received their permission to stay in country for another year with their organization, Mesopotamia Frontiers International, and continue serving the people of northern Iraq. So that was something they were praying and believing for. So they received that. Also, um, they have a good news report on they had been uh, gathering, um, I think it was $170,000 for a whole bunch of foundations for over in Syria for, uh, for tents in these um, camps of displaced people. And so they have now completed all of that fundraising and have it all in, and they are in the third phase of fin- that third and final phase of finishing that project in Syria. So we have, uh, they're very grateful for your involvement in that and continue to, of course the Lord puts, you know how He is, He puts bigger and bigger things on your plate and say so you continue to go from faith to faith and glory to glory. So they are um, just going to w- continue to walk out by obedience those things which the Lord lays uh, before them. And then also, I'll give you um, an update on our time down in Richmond. We had, uh, this past Tuesday, we've, I flew down with uh, 
Apostle Dale and John, and um, we had a wonderful time with the people there. We had 36, I believe, in attendance, uh, plus us, and um, people that are just already grounded in the Lord, people that are, but they've been churchless, so to speak. They need a home church. They haven't had one. Many of them really have been hurt by church right, in their past. And I suppose many of us here could raise our hand in that and say, yeah, that was me too at one point. And so Apostle Dale ministered a strong word on the fear of the Lord and, and prayed and laid hands on almost everyone in the room, I believe. And in particular, he ministered to that hurt and bringing the healing power of God into people's lives for where they've suffered from being hurt in the church. And so I believe the power of God worked in the people and that people were set free from some things. And we are um, just excited about what's been happening. Now, in the process of this, of course, as you, as you start a new church, at this point we're calling it a Bible study and we're meeting midweek. And, and as the Lord leads us, we'll move that to a weekend and to a Sunday. Um, but in the meantime, you know, when you start something like that, it also takes funds, right? And it's amazing how the Lord has been providing for this because we received a call and um, this lady, they're closing down their church. Now it's in a different part of, of Richmond and it's not where we're at, so the building isn't the fit for us. But they have all these, everything from chairs to sound equipment to everything that she's like, um, if you guys want it and can use it, we'll just sew it to you. And you won't even owe us anything for it. So there's thousands of dollars worth of equipment there that we're going to be able to use as we go forward. So just ama- And then in the process, there's another one that's, hey, I know of another church that's closing down and they, uh, they also have equipment that maybe you could use and... So the Lord is providing for His work in a unique way, and um, we're excited about what He's been doing. Now, we still have, obviously, all of that to be said is it requires some sweat and work too, right? When things like that are, are, are come your way, it requires something from the individual, and you have to put in the time and the effort and, and go gather those things up and sort through it and all of that, so we're going to be doing that uh, here in the coming two weeks. and So we're just very grateful for what the Lord has, um, how He's been providing as we just step out and walk step by step by faith in it. All right, take a hold of your uh, mission offering and giving and let's pray over it. Father, we just present our missions giving to You and we thank You, Father, that You watch over Your Word to accomplish it and that You said that You would meet all of our needs according to Your riches and glory and we believe that. Father, we know there's no end to, to your riches and glory and that there's an endless supply for us to do the work of the kingdom. And I thank you for that. I ask you to multiply according to your word back to every person that is, is investing into your work tonight that they would be able to see and know and experience firsthand your goodness and your promises that you keep in their finances. And I thank you for this in Jesus' name and amen. If you need an envelope, I guess I never did that, did I? If you need an envelope for your uh, missions giving, you just raise your hand. The ushers will bring one to you and then in a moment we'll pass the baskets. 
And on those envelopes, you can also give by credit card. Just make sure you designate it. If you do not designate it, it'll go into the general mission fund and get used um, and sent out to um, places that need it. It'll get sent out. 